Welcome to Podcast Hackers, the show for podcasters by podcasters. Here, each episode, you'll hear from the best and brightest podcasters and learn how they're growing their audience, monetizing their shows, and making an impact through podcasting. And now, your host, Craig Hewitt. All right, welcome back to another episode of Podcast Hackers. Today, we have Charles Perry on the show. Charles is from the Release Notes podcast. And as kind of our theme here in our second season of Podcast Hackers, we're having on kind of micro experts in the world of podcasting to talk about particular areas of the podcasting world that we believe these people are kind of subject matter experts in. Charles is going to talk about an event that has kind of spawned out of the podcast that he started a few years ago. So Charles, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on. No, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Uh, I'm excited to kind of dig into how you and your co-host Joe have kind of grown the Release Notes podcast over the, what, 300-something episodes into an actual conference now, right? Yeah, we just recorded episode 305, so we're going to have those going, and this we're going to be having our fourth edition of our conference uh, in October of this year. Cool. Very cool. So I definitely want to kind of dig into the conference and what it is now and kind of how it started and stuff like that, but folks who don't listen to your show, can you give a bit about kind of who you and Joe are and what the podcast is all about? Sure. Well, you know, like you said, I'm Charles Perry, and and my background is well, <laughs> quite varied over the years. I've you know worked corporate jobs. I taught in high school for a while. Most recently and most relevant to release notes, though, I was an independent iOS developer. So I wrote iPhone and iPad apps and sold them in the App Store. And this, you know, when I got started, it was sort of the Wild West out there and nobody, (laughs) there weren't any, there wasn't a script for how to make money or how to run your business. And that was something that I was really interested in was, you know, bringing a little bit of a little bit more discipline, trying to learn some of the lessons that other sort of self-funded businesses have learned over the years, but were largely absent in our community. I met Joe at a conference. Joe is a designer by trade, and he was sort of the in-house designer for another independent iOS and iPad developer called Bombing Brain Interactive. And so, you know, we hit it off at the conference, and, and that was sort of the what spawned the, the podcast. I guess the premise of the podcast is that we talk about all the aspects of running an independent business, except for like an online business, except for the code part. So it's sort of our tagline is everything but the code. So we talk about marketing, promotion, sales you know, trying to choose good markets, all that kind of stuff that goes into, you know, having a successful business. And our audience then, I guess, is the owners of other independent online businesses. You know, as we we started off in the iOS and, you know, iPad, iPhone world, and we're just about to cross six years of podcasting. And over those six years, obviously, a lot happens, right? Life is yeah, life for going. sure. Right. And our, our interests over that time have sort of moved on and our businesses, more importantly, have moved on as well. So now I am not doing iOS development anymore, and I'm instead concentrating mostly on what web and software as a service type of businesses. And Joe is doing other sorts of things as well. He's sort of varied his and you know, the sorts of jobs that he does and his his skill set has increased as well. So with our increasing of, you know, sort of the broadening of our interests and the broadening of our businesses, the podcast has sort of evolved as well. So now we are not as much iOS focused, not as focused on iPads, iPhones, although it's obviously still an interest to us, but now more of a general podcast for, for all types of online businesses that are where we sort of draw the line in the center of people who are self-funded. We're looking for our audiences full of smaller companies, self-funded, not taking outside investment and that kind of thing. So that's sort of the background of who we are and, and 
where the podcast came from. You know, I think it's really, uh, you touched on something really interesting there is the podcast has evolved as you guys have evolved over the years. I mean, 305 episodes in six years. And I always say like in, in podcasting years, it's like dog years. So you guys are like, <laughs> you guys are like ancient, right? But I think this is something that especially beginner podcasters are kind of scared of is, okay, I'm going to start out. My show is about this. And I told my my audience in the first few episodes that I'm going to be talking about this, but then something changed in my life or my brand and my business or my hobby or whatever it is to where now it's different. And it's not about that anymore. A lot of people are scared of kind of alienating their their audience when this happens. Did you guys run into that or were you worried about it at all? Or, or, or did that kind of flow organically? Not worried. I mean, it, it started happening organically, but we didn't, we continued to identify as a podcast for independent iOS developers well past the stage where web was what I was mostly doing. And it, it, it really took a realization on our part that, you know, this, you know, what we're saying we're about and what we're actually about mm. aren't really the same thing. Yeah. And so we, we sort of eventually said, you know what, we just need to not really make an announcement so much as just sort of acknowledge that, you know, what our current interest is and what our, the current topic is. So we updated our metadata and we met, we talked about it. We changed our introduction to our podcast. We talked about the, the changes in one of the episodes of our podcast before we started into the real topic and just sort of acknowledged it and then moved on. And the world didn't end and your, your fans didn't hate you or anything, right? I mean, the, yeah. no, the world <laughs> did not end. No. My theory is that you might get your listeners because of what it is you're talking about, especially at the beginning, but you keep your listeners because of the sort of connection that they form with you. I mean, okay. your, your listeners feel like they get to know you. And as you know, Joe and my experiences have sort of expanded over the years, and as we started talking about our new businesses and things like that, our audience was sort of on that journey with us. And so, you know, I, I really think that a lot of those people were still able to take some of the lessons that we that we were talking about and learning, because a lot of the things we talk about are applicable, not just to web or SaaS, but also to, you know, their own, the, the, the original audience of iOS developers. And so they were able to take some of those and sort of broaden their perspective as well. And because they felt like they had a relationship with us, because they, I mean, presumably they feel like they like us, they wouldn't listen if they didn't. We were able to sort of bring a lot, most of those people along. And in the process, we've also, I think, picked up some new listeners that are more interested in our new lines of work than they were in mobile development. So it, it's, it cuts both ways, but overall, it wasn't too traumatic of an experience, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. That's cool. I think that one thing that's really interesting about kind of your guys' story is the the conference that you now run that has kind of grown out of the community that you built, I think, around your podcast. So, I mean, podcast is a very, you know, marketing term, top of funnel awareness level thing for, for a lot of people and brands. And I think for you guys, it probably is, is as well. And then once you have these kind of core group of people that listen to your shows and interact with you and your communities and things like that, then you can do things like create an event. And as someone who has created an event before, I can tell you it is really, really, really hard work. And <laughs> I don't know, it doesn't always pay off, but it sounds like you guys have really kind of nailed the the event and it sounds like a really wonderful time. How did your conference come about out of the podcast? Well, I mean, part of it was I am a pretty social person and right? I really like to meet people. And, and both Joe and I enjoy attending industry conferences and meeting people and making new connections. And it turns out a lot of the people that were listening to the podcast were going to a lot of these same conferences. And so we got to meet a lot of our listeners in person. And we just, I guess our, our community has a history of attending conferences, which is helpful. It got to a point, I guess, where I was, I mean, I was just interested in bringing people together. And I, I sort of broached the subject 
subject with Joe and we we talked it over and we went over all the finances and stuff like that. And it sounded like a great idea from the beginning. But of course, the, the question is the risk that you're taking on because there you have a lot of expenditures that you are contractually obligated to, to, to pay for, whether people show up to your, to your event or not. You know, yeah. Hotel rooms that have to be paid for in advance, catering and, you know, venue space and stuff like that. And there is definitely a risk there. But, you know, when you have an audience of about 5,000 people, it becomes a little less scary to think, okay, I don't need all those people. I need like 50 people to break even, right? Right. (laughs) So I can just get like 1% of the people to to come to the conference. We're going to be fine. Turns out that 1% can be harder to get than you would think at first, but (laughs) it does work out. And especially for the first event, it's tough. But, you know, as you, well, at least as we have had the event year after year, I think word has spread that we put on a pretty good show that people have a lot of fun. And that has made it much easier to attract attendees. And in fact, what we found is that year after year, our our tickets have been selling out much more quickly than they had in originally. Originally, of course, we didn't sell at all. But the last time we ran this conference in 2017, I think we completely sold out in a week. We took 2018 off. We're about to open up sales for 2019. So we don't know how those are going to go yet. But we've been seeing a lot of a lot of interest online, a lot of people talking about the conference. So we're hopeful that we're going to be able to sell our tickets quickly and not have that sort of hanging overhead all summer. Yeah. So so how did it go the first year? I mean, you guys, you and Joe decided, all right, we're going to do the conference. We're going to you know obviously announce and market it through the podcast. But like that's a big jump between we're going to do a podcast and making it happen, right? Like, what did the the rollout like for you guys internally, and then marketing the event to to your show? What did that look like? Well, we actually started planning the event. Oh man, probably eighteen months in advance of the first event. Wow! Just because there was so much we didn't know. I mean, the first time. I mean, obviously, in later years we didn't have that much lead time, but the first year we did because the first decision is where do you hold it, right? And we were considering lots of different places. We ended up choosing Indianapolis because that's the area that I'm from, and so it made it more convenient for somebody to be local to check out different venues and stuff. But we had to we scoped out lots of different venues. We flew Joe in so that he could set eyes on the the different venues we were considering you got to get a, a feel for how all of the different rental agreements work because I had never done anything like that before. And it's like a totally different world, right? I mean, contracts and all this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And there's all these different ways to either save or or lose money in these contracts with different venues and hotels and mm. catering that you just don't know about until you've actually gone in and made those mistakes. So and we we did a lot of that. You know, I made a, plenty of mistakes the first year, and as a result, after learning those lessons the hard way, we were able to really cut back on some of our expenses for for year two. But you know, even decisions about whether to rent audiovisual equipment or to purchase it and make a long term investment that's going to pay off over a couple of years was something that we had to balance. And there's just lots of different things you need to look at in order to first convince yourself that it's a financially viable thing to even get into. And then once you sort of cross that hurdle, then you've got to actually look at the actual logistics of choosing speakers, inviting speakers, renting all the space, how you're going to do promotion, you know, down to getting name badges ready. I mean, there's just a, all this huge list of things that have to be taken care of. And you've got to make sure all of them are taken care of because something is going to go wrong if you don't. It might be catastrophic, like forgetting to run a venue, uh, or it might be something less important, like one year our our badges didn't turn out the way we wanted, so we had to scramble and go out and print some at the last second. And they looked horrible, but they got the job done. Yeah. <laughs> and people were very sympathetic with how with, with the the circumstances, but you know you, you sort of have to roll the punches because nothing ever goes the way you expect. So. Yeah, so in the first year, how much like, and this is totally self 
selfish. So I'd love to put on an event here, kind of in my neck of the woods, but I'm really hesitant to say like, I'm going to put together this thing for 10 or 50 or 200 people. Like how big of an audience do I need to then be able to, I'll say, convert that into an event of some, some kind of size? How many people did you guys have like listening to your show? And then like in the first year, how many did you have come to the event? You know, I can't remember what our listening audience was like back then, size-wise. Ballpark uh, thousand listeners an episode or 5,000? Or? In the ballpark are probably close to 5,000. Okay. Probably a little bit under, but I'm not entirely – I'd have to look, but – so it's a pretty successful podcast for... Yeah, it, it, yeah. Was, it is a pretty decent audience. I guess if I were to throw out some suggestions as far as like rules of thumb kind of thing, my first suggestion, I guess, would be to start small and plan on a smaller audience than you think you could probably get. So I think 1% is probably a good rule of thumb as far as where to start. It's like, for example, if we have if we have a, an audience of 5,000, maybe planning on like a 1% to 2% conversion of like to 50 or 100, plan on that. But more importantly, whatever it is you think you're going to you're going to have, whatever size you think you're going to have, that's going to determine lots of different decisions as far as what size of a venue you need and therefore how expensive it's going to be, how many rooms that you're going to need to you know have available in the, in the hotel that you choose for the conference, how much food is going to be required. So that main decision is going to affect virtually everything else. And my suggestion, I guess, is whatever size you decide on, make sure that you set a budget. And before doing anything else, that sort of lists all the different things you're going to need as far as rental and staging and AV and food and, you know, transportation, all that kind of stuff. But make it break even at like 50 percent or to two thirds the way full, because okay. you want to make sure that you're you're whatever it is you think you're going to do. You want to make sure you're going to break even like at least halfway through that, because First of all, especially your first year, there's a risk that you're not going to fill all your seats. But second of all, you've got to you got to you got to work profit in there at some point. You got to make it worth your while, at least from our perspective, right? And so it, I guess it's, it fills two roles. First of all, it's mitigating risk, but it's also sort of building in a little bit of reward for. It's basically a, a part-time job. So I mean, it's you're uh, building a little bit of reward for the all the work that you're putting in. So yeah, yeah. Do you look at the? I want to come back to like budget and stuff in a minute, but do you look at the conference as like something that supports your podcast or the other way around? You know, like is the conference the end goal of doing the podcast to, to build your brand or is it the the conference then supports the podcast where you sell sponsorships and stuff like that? You know, that's interesting. I don't think that Joe or I, either one, look at our podcast as a business business. It's more like a hobby business, if that makes sense, because yeah. it's not the audience of our podcast – well, less so for Joe. Joe does actually use it as a as a lead as a sort of a lead generator for his work because he does a lot of freelance work and stuff like that. But the audience of the podcast does not overlap with the market for my business at all. So it's more of a self expression kind of thing. It's also you know sort of raising your your profile in the community kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I guess personal brand more than I guess your actual business brand. But as far as the two kind of like fit together, it's tough to say. I don't know that I would say that either one is, I don't think any one takes lead. I think, I, th- I don't think of them as two separate things. I think of them as two aspects of the same project. Cool. So okay. it's, it's, they both have rewards in, in different ways. They both have mostly time expenses, but also financial expenses, the, the conference more so than the podcast, obviously. So it's, you know, the, the podcast is the best marketing channel that the conference has. 
and the conference is sort of the payoff for all the the weeks of of continuous podcasting even when you don't want to you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah even when you get on the call and you say what are we going to talk about this week <laughs> i have nothing to talk about this week <laughs> that has definitely happened to me in the last couple of days <laughs> uh and i i mean i'll i'll say this is a total tangent but i you know for folks who have you know, a co-host type podcast like you have and like I have for my my kind of personal show. Yeah, I mean, you talk to the same person for years. I mean, I've been talking with Dave for years now for my personal show. And yeah, we got on a call. We're talking on Charles and I are talking on a Thursday right now. We got on, on a call on Tuesday and said, what are we going to talk about? We talked for about 15 minutes and we said, okay, let's just talk on Thursday and get organized between now and then because this is, <laughs> this is just not going to happen. So I think, yeah. I mean, I've done almost a thousand podcast episodes at this point, I think. So it's like, it still happens. Don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> cool. So I, and, and I, I hate to be kind of digging into the weeds here, but I think this is really interesting with, with the event. So, you know, say something like 50 people, that's a, that's a really moderate kind of size first event for, for someone to put together. What kind of budget range should someone think about for putting on a 50 person event? So like, you're going to go get a, you know, a conference room at a, whatever kind of decent hotel near you and a book of rooms and catering and all that kind of stuff. Well, like ballpark is is that like a $5,000 or $20,000 investment? What, what kind of range should we, people be thinking about? Let me actually look. I can I can tell you the numbers. I have them here in front of me. The first time that we did this, and this this number is from memory, I, I think we had planned on about 100 people in the room, and I think we got about 65 plus speakers plus staff. So there was maybe 80 or 90 in the room altogether. And I think our first budget was in the ballpark of a hundred thousand dollars. So wow, <laughs> that gives you there's a lot of zeros. It was it was some of the biggest checks I've ever written to hotels and stuff. Actually, hold on a second. Let me dig this up, and I can tell you right now. Budget.xls. Our budgeted revenue was one hundred sixteen thousand dollars. Our actual revenue was eighty two thousand dollars, and that's just revenue. That's before you pay for everything. So you know that's I think a really good illustration of you know don't count all those chickens before they're hatched because you know, whatever you hoped for. Oh, actually, those numbers too. We had we had actually budgeted on 150 people attending, and we got 74 attending paid tickets. Okay, okay. So that gives you an idea of of where everything lands. And that first year, did you guys break even on the event? Probably a little bit under break even. It was very close, though. I mean, we okay. wouldn't have done it if if we we wouldn't have continued doing it if we had really lost our shirts on them. Let's see here, profit loss tab. We ended up making, and this is something that even our release notes crowd doesn't know because, but there's probably not a lot of overlap between the two podcasts. So I'll tell you your listeners. <laughs> <laughs> On that, we made $1,754. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, off that's, of that, so that's a uh, that's not a not a huge uh, profit off of uh, that large that that amount of revenue. So right, right, but it it has gotten much better. I mean, like I said, that first year we made a lot of mistakes. I and I'm going to take full ownership of this because we have a division of labor, and mine my part of it is all the logistics stuff. And so I will take ownership and say that I made a lot of mistakes. I didn't negotiate nearly as effectively as I should have with hotels and and food vendors and restaurants. We made a lot of mistakes together just in the way that we – some of the choices we made and how to you know, set up the conference itself. Uh, some of them were good for the long-term health of the conference but bad in a short-term you know, revenue sort of standpoint. Uh, sorry. What do you mean by that or if you're able to say? No, I can – I'll talk about anything at this point. This is all ancient history so nobody really cares. <laughs> but for example, one of the things that we, that we do at our conference every year is we take our audience and we divide them up. Let's say hypothetically we have 100 people. They're just 
for, for round numbers. It's hard for a lot of people to get to know or get to make, make meaningful connections with other people in the audience in a group that size, especially if they're a little bit introverted. And recognizing that one of the things we wanted to do was sort of engineer smaller scale experiences. So one of the things we did is we created a dine around where we take the large group and divide it into like 12 or 14 different dining groups of between eight and 12 people, depending on the number of restaurants, and the number of people and stuff like that. And so one night, instead of like having a banquet or something like that, these small groups go out to all these restaurants. And so now instead of a group in a group of 100 where they might feel a little intimidated, they're in a group of eight where you sort of have to carry on a conversation, right? And it's a lot easier for a lot of people to sort of, you know, start conversations, make new friends and make like real meaningful connections with other people in a smaller scale setting, especially over food and drink, because that mm. always helps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, doing that was one of the things that was really important to us. However, the first year, especially we, we decided, you know, there's no way this is part of the conference. We sort of got to spring for this ourselves. We couldn't figure out the logistics. So we paid for all that ourselves. That was probably a, a key mistake on our, on our point from a financial standpoint. It w- made the logistics much simpler because we didn't have to have people fumbling for money and stuff like that. They just showed up, they ate, they had fun, and they went to the reception afterwards as a group. The second year, we corrected that, and we said, you know what? Everybody's going to have to pay for themselves is what it boils down to. And we had anticipated getting a lot of pushback on you. Wait a minute. You're inviting us in. You're making us pay for this ticket, and now we have to pay for our own, our own dinner. What a great idea. <laughs> not one person not one person made a comment. And it's year after year been one of the most successful and most commented on and I think our guests' favorite parts of release notes just yet the chance to get together. And, you know, once we – I mean, frankly, that's a huge expense because you're not paying wholesale prices at that point. You're paying, like, regular retail go-to-a-restaurant prices for a yeah. group of eight. Yeah. And that really brought down some of our food expenses and, and helped the put the bottom line a lot. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, as somebody who goes to a fair amount of conferences, I find big conferences really difficult. I'm not I'm not an extroverted person. I'm, I'm outgoing but introverted, which I think is kind of odd. And I just being in a room of 200 people for me is just like – Okay, well, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do now. So I think like these small groups of <laughs> eight or ten people going out to dinner, being at a table where you can actually talk to people is is really great. So that's that's super cool. And you know, I think it shows kind of talking about the evolution of your podcast before. It talks about the like, ev- evolution of the event. You you learn something from the first event, you go to the second year, and you you do a little different, and and it makes the the event more sustainable as you go, right? Oh, definitely. We learn so much year after year of both what to do and what not to do, and you know, our dining rounds even evolving this year. I mean, we are sort of of taking the established dine around sort of formula that we've had for the last couple of years. And we're sort of doubling down on it again in that we're instead of having one dine around, we're having two and we're making the groups even smaller. So it's going to be, there's going to be more opportunities for small scale interactions. And I, I really, I don't have to think, I don't, I know that it's a really attractive part of our conference for a lot of our guests. It's, it's something that that they look forward to year after year, just because it's, you walk away with friendships, right? And that's, that's something that no podcast can do is bring audience members together. You need some other way to bring them together, whether that is online, like on Twitter or a message board that's attached to your podcast, or in our case, our event. And, you know, people, you know, when they make friendships like that, it it creates, you know, meaningful relationships for them with other people, but also it it keeps them invested in your, in your podcast and your event as well, I think. So it's really been a, a winner all the way around for everybody involved. I think it's something we will definitely continue to do probably in all of our events going forward. Yeah. I think in the online world version of this, like the community that you're talking about, the thing that we've seen work best is, especially around podcasts and the types of community that podcasters build are Facebook groups. 
So we have a lot of customers that have Facebook groups that are kind of attached to the podcast and the same, you know, audience and, and brand and everything. And it's a, the thing about Facebook groups is they're a really low friction way for people to get involved and start talking together. Because like in the podcast, right, you and I are talking and everybody's listening and there's no chance for them to say, yeah, Craig, but you know, this or Charles, I can't believe you didn't think about that or whatever. And like when you get in a Facebook group, everybody is interested in the same thing. Everybody has a chance to talk in a really kind of round robin and dynamic way. And it's a great way to bring out a lot of that like conversation that is missing in podcasting, but the podcast is is a perfect way to start the conversation. So a lot of people, what they do is they say in the Facebook group, okay, this week's episode, we talked about how to start an event from your podcast. Who has experience with this? And it just, you know, boom, there's the, <laughs> there's the conversation for the week a lot of times, but totally it doesn't, it doesn't actually bring people together, which like, I don't know, in this, not to be too esoteric, but in this like online world that we're more and more living in, like to actually get in front of people that you are associated and connect with is kind of hard sometimes, which is weird. But yeah, I go to a lot of events. I love them because it lets me talk to people like you and like my podcasting friends, because a lot of times we don't, we just talk on Skype or Zoom or whatever and getting in person with people just is different and better in almost every way. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, I mean, I'm always hesitant to say this because I know a lot, everyone experiences relationships, especially online relationships differently. And you can form really strong friendships online. I'll be the first to admit that. But at least for me, there's just a real difference between as well as I feel like I know or like someone who I've interacted with online a lot. It just changes the dynamic if you've you know sat down and shared a meal, had a, had a drink together, looked them in the eye, and just had a conversation for an evening. Right? Yeah. There's just yeah. something different about that that really changes, at least for me, sort of the 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 status of the relationship. I feel closer to those people because I know them. Right? And now I feel like I really know them because I've I've been in in the same room, we've talked things over and, you know, we've explored our interests or whatever. You can still do that on stuff online. But I, I, for me, there's just a, a huge qualitative difference between online and in-person relationships. And I, I can't really put my finger on why that is other than just sort of deep-seated psychology, I guess. But I, I don't know. There's just something different. So that's one of the reasons why I really enjoy, you know, bringing people together in a, a real, real-world setting like conferences and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think what it is, it, it's like an extension or the ne- it's the next level of why podcasting is so great. So blogging, social media, whatever, fine, great. You write the words, we read them, whatever. That's great. Podcasting, you're literally in somebody's ear and they get to hear your tone of voice and your emotion and things like that. You also talk about mm-hmm. different things in the podcast. Like we're talking about this. I would never blog about this, I don't think, <laughs> you know, but we're talking <laughs> about different types of things. So so it's just more, I use the term intimate to describe this. And that's really like. Yeah, that's a really good word for that. I, I think it's I think it's really good. Yeah, because it, it's, it really is more intimate. You're It's less impersonal and more more personal because you can observe they may be saying one thing, but their body language might be saying something else. You know, that kind yeah, of thing totally. that you just can't yeah. get either on an online setting or uh, just voice call yeah. or a podcast or something like that. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, a podcast takes it the next level from blogging, but then an in-person event takes it to a whole new level to where you say like, yep, this is like totally a connection that, you know, would take for the rest of your, whatever, not the rest of your life, but for, for the next phase of your life, I think it'll take with you. So, so, okay. So I'm really interested in starting an event. It sounds like you've learned a lot. 
as someone who wants to start an event and hopefully for the listeners out there saying the same thing, like, hey, I have, you know, a fair amount of people that are interested in the same thing I'm interested in. Looking back at the things that you've learned over the last handful of years and the four events you've run, what would you do or do different in starting your release notes conference now? Like how would you start from scratch and do it better than you did it before? Well, let me let me start with one thing that I think we did really well. And that is make your first iteration as easy as possible. In my case, a lot of that was located you know, this year, for example, we're holding the conference in Mexico, which is a huge step for us. We've mm. we've never done an international event like that. But the first year we did it, we did it in, in virtually my backyard. And that really simplified things. Being able to, to visit different venues and get comfortable with the, the different locations and the people you'll be working with and stuff like that. So we did it in Indianapolis for two years. And then year three, we went to Chicago, which is further away, obviously not Indianapolis, but it's at least drivable, right? So if, if something, there was really an emergency that I had to be on site for, I could drive up there in a day and get it taken care of. But I think having that as background now allows us to, to cast our net a little bit wider. And so we're, we really are sort of stretching into Mexico this year, which I think is going to be a great time. But it's definitely not something I would I would, would have tried the first year. It would have been disastrous. So Yeah, yeah. In general, I guess my advice is to take baby steps and to start smaller than you probably think you, you can. Like, for example, I I just, when we were talking earlier about my numbers, I think I said that we budgeted on 150 people attending and we ended up with like 80 something. I've closed that spreadsheet, so I don't know the exact number, but it probably would have been a lot safer to, to instead of, you know, having the stretch goal of 150 and budgeting on that, it probably would have been a lot safer to, instead of budgeted on a hundred right, or, right, or even right. smaller. Right. So, yeah. so I guess my first piece of advice is do everything you can to engineer success into your, into your event, or at least, you know, engineer out catastrophic failure. I mean, because there is a lot of risk that's going on and there's a lot of moving pieces. And if, if you've never done anything like that before, it's really easy to, to drop one of those balls and, and have things blow up on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, we didn't have that happen to us. But, you know, other than the, the attendance issue, we, we certainly could have. We were scrambling there that first year. We were not sure what was going to happen at all. So I guess that's that's my first and biggest lesson. Yeah. The the next thing I guess I would say is make sure you treat people right. And that sort of extends to everybody. You want to make sure that your your guests feel taken care of, that they, you know, have all the information they need in order to, you know, make it to and from the event, that they sort of know what they're signing up for, that kind of stuff. You want to make sure your speakers, if you have speakers, in our case we did. You want to make sure your speakers feel like they're being taken care of, that you're doing everything you can to help them be successful on stage, whether that is knowing in advance the exact details of the audio and video system so you can communicate that to them, whether that is knowing you know, how far the furthest seat in the house is going to be from the screen so they know how large to make their text, what the lighting situation is going to be like. Mm. All, all that kind of stuff goes into a speaker properly preparing for a talk. And you want to make sure that they have the tools they need in order to be successful. You want to make sure you, you take care of your staff. You want to make them feel like they're, you know, a critical part of the success of your event because they are, whether you realize it or not. And, you know, it, a lot of the stuff just would not happen without a really good staff to, to help us out. And, and they need to feel like they're appreciated. And when they are, they will in turn give you 110%. And when you say staff, you mean the the folks at the venue or the hotel? No, I mean conference staff. Okay. So like we have the way we have our structure, we have two organizers, me and Joe, and the buck sort of stops with us. Either one of us can approve or reject, you know, anything that costs money. For example, either one of us are authorized with the hotel to make financial decisions, although most of them come to me just because of our our separation of duties. But then we also have a conference staff that helps us out. So we have, I think, in the first couple of years, we had four different people that were ran, running the 
AV station because we needed somebody to run slides, somebody to run the audio board, somebody to record sessions, and another person to prepare speakers as they were going up on stage, making sure the microphone was set up correctly and stuff like that. Gotcha. And then we just had we had uh, several people who were watching, you know, the the food come and go, and they weren't actually preparing the food, but they were keeping an eye on water levels and that kind of stuff. But more importantly for us, we had that diner around that we talked about before, and we made sure that we had one staff member go with each group to each dinner so that there was somebody who knew what the heck was going on you know, in each group. So there weren't questions of, okay, we're done eating. Now what do we do, right? Right, and right. That, that gives the speaker, the, ch- the staff member, the chance to stand up and say, hey, all you got to do is follow me. And then they walk to the, the next event and everybody's back in one location again. But you know, those kinds of things, the staff in those kind of situations make the, the conference feel like it's a, a smooth running machine, you know, whereas if you, w- without them, it would just be a disaster. And are those folks that you get locally or does the hotel help you find those people or do you know them and fly them in or how does that work? No, these are all people in our community. Okay. So some of them are people that I know personally yeah. because they they are iOS developers, for example, in the Indianapolis area. Some of them are coworkers to Joe. Some of them are just friends that we've met at other conferences. But we always made a point of choosing people that we knew and had established relationships with because, frankly, they're going to be the representatives of the conference. And whatever they do or don't do is going to be a reflection on us. So we yeah. had to make sure that we were comfortable with you know, having people in essentially positions of responsibility or at least positions of where they were representing the conference. And, you know, it's not something we wanted to sort of turn over to strangers. So, yeah, yeah, gotcha. That's cool. I know a lot of people have like professional event organizers that they have help with these kind of things. But like you, I would be much more confident with, you know, a friend or an associate that I I know kind of on a personal level and say, hey, you know, give you I'll give you a ticket to the event if you can help out with these kind of things and, you know, buy you dinner while we're there or something like that, as opposed to, you know, a hired gun kind of thing. Well, you know, the what you mentioned, an event organizer would, if anyone in your audience is thinking about this, that's probably something they should give serious consideration to because all those details I was talking about, about, you know, location of, you know, the nitty gritty details of, you know, what type of projector, what kind of sound, how far is the last seat from the, the, the screen, you know, getting speakers to and from the airport, those kinds of things that are just super detail oriented. Let's take a lot of time. And if you have money to have a, a conference or, or a, like a, I don't want to say wedding organizer, but a lot of time, the same sort of, a lot of overlap, but event organizer, that can be helpful. They are expensive. They can earn a little bit of their money back because they have established relationships with hotels and restaurants and stuff. So they can sort of squeeze a little bit more out of them because they know what prices should be. Whereas you probably don't, especially the first time you've done it. Mm-hmm. But we frankly just didn't have the budget to do something like that. I mean, it, it, there was no way we could have made that happen the first year. And so we, we sort of had to take care of all those details ourselves. Now, having done it a few times, I don't feel, well, I don't feel nearly as intimidated by taking care of all this stuff, but I think some of the cost-saving advantages probably have disappeared now as well. Because I've done it for a couple of years, I sort of know what to expect. I sort of know what things should cost. I know where there's flexibility in pricing and where there's not. And so I can get some of those, you know, sort of better deals now, probably not to the same extent as a full-time event organizer, but enough. And, you know, the main thing that we would probably be getting out of an event organizer at this point would be simply freeing up our time. Yeah. So that we're not doing all of this in advance, but on the flip side, we'd be paying a lot for that. So, I mean, it's, it's a, a cost benefit analysis that you're going to have to, to, I guess, look at, but you know, if you don't have any money, that's sort of a decision. Made right it's out the window, there. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, super interesting. Well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm inspired and educated, which is like the whole point of the, the podcast is to, yeah, I mean, just learn this kind of stuff. I mean, it's so great to hear firsthand the story because I think these are the things that a lot of podcasters start their shows for. Like, even if it's subliminal a little bit, like, you know, I want to start my podcast so that I can do this and this and this in the future. And yeah, I mean, a lot of these things sound like they're really possible, right? I mean, you guys have, have grown a successful event and you're in your fourth year now and all that kind of stuff and that's awesome to hear yeah we've really enjoyed the the trip and you know we've made a lot of really close friends through both the podcasts but more so through the the events themselves so i mean at least from a personal point of view they've all been totally worthwhile so we've really enjoyed them and we've enjoyed a lot of the friendships we've made over the years awesome awesome so charles for folks who want to kind of learn more about you and the event and the podcast where can they where can they kind of learn more about you and release notes well they can learn more about me probably the best ways to find me on twitter my name there is days end that's d-a-z-e-e-n-d or if you want to learn more about the podcast you can find us at releasenotes.tv if you're if anybody out there is interested in possibly running an event for their own podcast we're going to be doing our announcement of our of our event uh coming up starting this has not been publicly announced but you know like i said there's not a lot of overlap between my listeners and yours so i don't mind saying it for in a mid-march time frame probably in the next week or so we're going to start our rollout of a lot of our promotional material for our conference in 2019 so if you want to keep an eye on on 2019.releasenotes.tv that will give your listeners a chance I know that certainly none of your listeners are probably interested in attending but if they're interested in their own events that might give them a chance to sort of watch how we are rolling out our event and doing our promotion so that they can sort of get an idea of of sort of how we handle it and if they have any questions about why we're doing what we're doing when we're doing it feel free to get in touch you can reach me like I said on Twitter or you can reach me on by email at charles at releasenotes.tv everything we do as far as promotion for the event is for a reason. We've made a lot of mistakes and we're doing things the way we're doing intentionally now. So if you if you have a question about why we're doing it, get in touch. I'd be happy to talk to you about it. Awesome. Awesome. Super helpful. And yeah, really, really neat to hear. Charles, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Really appreciate it. And best of luck with the upcoming conference. Hey, thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. I had a great time. Cool. Cheers. Thank you for listening to another episode of Podcast Hackers. If you liked what you heard today, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. This goes a long way towards helping spread the word about the show to other podcasters just like you. Until next time, happy podcasting.